Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me today is a good day here at Spark Parade Towers. Uh, my guest today is New York underground scene legend Christine, whose spark is the New York underground queer film classic Pink Narcissus. I have loved Christine forever, and hanging out with her for a bit was a real thrill for me. Um, it was also great to have a super-duper queer episode. As I've said before, I love talking to all kinds of people for this show, but there is something very relaxing to me about hanging out with other queer folks, especially when we're talking about super queer shit. I get the same feeling hanging out with other Jews. In summary, being with my people is nice. Okay, end of digression. On to the good stuff. Quick Christine facts. Christine is a raw spirit of ferocious music, unabashed sexuality, and fiery intimate stank. Reports from live shows describe inexplicably powerful experiences, distressed choreography, macabre scenes involving butt plugs tied to bouquets of balloons being released from the singer's ass, wardrobes styled from the forgotten scraps of society, and intimately heated sermons on the state of the world as we know it. Um, if you're having trouble pinning down Christine's artistic genre from that description, don't try. She is in a league of her own. Just Google her. Um, <laughs> anyway, Christine's new album, Midnight Fuck Train, is out now. Quick Pink Narcissus facts. Pink Narcissus is a 1971 American art house film directed by James Bidgood, it visualizes the erotic fantasies of a gay male sex worker. The film is mostly shot on 8mm film with bright, otherworldly lighting and intense colors. Aside from its last climactic scene, which was shot in a downtown Manhattan loft, it was produced in its entirety, including outdoor scenes. In Bidgood's small New York City apartment over a seven-year period from 1963 to 1970, and ultimately released without the consent of the director, who therefore had himself credited as anonymous. It has since become a cult classic and has been a major influence on fashion, music, and film. And there you have it. 
on with the show. Here comes my chat with Christine about Pink Narcissus. So I guess the like the entry point um, for these conversations is always kind of your origin story with this piece of work. So do you remember seeing Pink Narcissus for the first time or, or hearing about it? I remember seeing images, particularly of the street scene where all the vendors are selling some fucked up shit. Uh, and I remember being struck by the images showing a lot of clothing or lack of that these men were wearing and the sheer quality of the clothing and the the very firm, comfortable grip around their cocks and asses of this beautiful, fantastical clothing, not just like Tom of Finland jeans or, you know, this kind of more macho-y kind of machinery to show off the male genitalia or form. This was a very strange, fantastical, almost like, kind of like what you would imagine if you lived inside Barbara Eden's genie bottle. (laughs) Those purples and those velvets and those velours and shears and stained glass windows and lavenders and pinks. It it really um, was a very uh, mind-blowing, head-cracking experience to see a realm involving these textures and colors, not just uh, a one person. It was a world. And I wanted very badly to go to that world and to go to that alley. So I really started digging to find out who the fuck this person was. But that was a very long answer for your first question. (laughs) I I do talk a lot out of my mouth. So yeah, it was really something I had to find. It was like a dirty little secret garden, you know, and those places, those gardens and those Narnia fuck places, they don't just... There's not just a door. You got to fucking find it or it's got to find, it's got to let you in. So I, obviously, if you're dealing with some enchanted realm, it ain't just going to be easy to find, you know, and it wasn't easy to find at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like looking at it now, knowing the effect that it's had on so much popular culture and, on queer queer artists, you know, people like David LaChapelle saying that it's, you know, saying it's an influence and it's like, honey, we know. <laughs> like, oh, and, like, and like Pierre Gilles. Right. It's like, like hello, right. y'all could have like pulled back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's a deep inspiration, obviously. Mm-hmm. Which, but, yeah. But, you know. David LaChapelle too, same thing. Yeah, yeah, and even you know people say like Lil Nas X and um, you know more contemporary artists. I mean, so, uh, apologies to David LaChapelle if I'm, I'm implying that he's not contemporary. Well, and I think with like Lil Nas X, it's like again, there's a there's such a fucking different. There's a fucking wheel of fortune of fucking faggotry going on <laughs> every color of that goddamn wheel. So you can see the people like La Chapelle, like Pierre Agile, like Lil Nas X, who uh, subscribe to the fantastical, who who are much more interested, perhaps, I don't know these fuckers, I'd like to know some of them, hell, all of them. Um, I like creative people, but obviously 
there's something about the sexuality and the fantastical quality and the textures of those that round that James Bidgood created that speaks to these people sexually and answers some questions probably to what gender or masculinity means to them, more so with the older folks of the crew who probably were handed much more of a masculine environment of um, um, Finland and things like that. But Lil Nas X is young, so he probably, he gets to kind of grow up in a more fantastical realm. Or did they did he go by he or they? I don't know the kids, but Lil, I'll just say his name. Lil Nas X, you know, was very much happily, I, I find fortunately, as every generation wakes up into the world, uh, the faculty gets better and better. So yeah, and braver and braver and louder and louder. So um, it's 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 very nice to see someone like Lil Nas X have the same tastes which coming from that fucking faggotry fountain that we don't know about. Why do we like Judy? Why do we like this? Why do we like that? Like who, who gives a fuck? Just drink the water. But <laughs> yeah. it's nice to see that the fountain's still flowing on the kid. And it's seeing, yeah, well, seeing those, you know, you watch like performances that Lil Nas X does for the VMAs or whatever. And it's so fucking gay. And it's so like unapologetic, just like throwing everything out there, throwing his dick out there. Everything is just, uh, he, he is not interested in uh, conforming to any kind of heteronormative idea of what a pop star should be. And you can see a direct line from Pink Narcissus to now, but the difference is when this came out, it was like, you know, uh, uh, considered obscene and was not something that people could ever show in public in the way that, um, you know, little Nas X's stuff gets shown now. Oh, yeah. Big Good didn't even put his fucking name on it yeah. for decades. They didn't even know who the fuck, which again, there's your fucking secret garden. They can't even find the motherfucker who did the goddamn thing. <laughs> so it's like even fuckers who were charmed and who were drawn in by this film they couldn't even find the person who made the damn thing, let alone, I don't know how the fuck they saw it. Like, must have been some Times Square theater shit or very, you know, fantastically dark salons and art houses that were shitting this shit out to them. Yeah. It's very exciting. And and it's very nice that that it's lasted. Like, you can see the color palette. You can see the Fantasia and a little Nas X, per, per, you know, production. You can you can see it. It's still in the fountain. It's still in the poison, which is good poison. It's still in the water. And mm. that's very nice. Yeah. And I, I also love this kind of contrast between, you know, James Bidgood was like loved the Ziegfeld Follies and Broadway. And there's all of this kind of um, lush, it's like te Technicolor movies. It reminds me of like movies from the forties when it was just this like grand scale, but also super fucking queer. And it's like, uh, you know, taking this, you know, not, uh, it not gone with the wind, but something with that kind of grandiosity and making it about, Sex workers, like right? <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just this, like, um, and the fact that it feels that big, and it was almost all filmed in his tiny apartment, and it has, yeah, it's like that's it's there's such skill, yeah. That's what it speaks to me the most. The the thing that 
the thing that really, really affected me even more after seeing it was when I started to understand how this little man made this shit. And the fact that James Bigger created this in his little tiny apartment in New York with, I'm sure, no fucking budget at all. It really speaks to creative-minded people in, let's say, small towns, places that don't allow uh, exposure to these Broadway, Zig-filled, folly, creative realms, to, to be inspired by something so grand as the Follies and to take that inspiration and to, with no budget, with extreme patience, create that realm in a very small space with a long amount of time to do so and a very interesting cast of friends to help. It really uh, gave me the permission as a creative broke, strange piece of shit to bend the, how do I say, the, it's almost like to take the, 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 the black matter of creativity of the universe and to pervert it, to bend it, to shape it, to fit the things that I was trying to express myself. He gave it, James Bidgood gave a roadmap to many fucking small pound or no moneyed creative idiots to really express themselves because of the way in which he did so and the product upon which he created was stunning. Um, the underwater shots, not speaking of pink narcissists, but the, the shots of the, the first ones he did, the early ones with the painted the floor like a goddamn ocean bottom, took the camera up on a ladder, had the fucking model stand on the floor and put his little leg up like he's swimming built all these corals and shit and then shot it. And it's the most beautiful diorama thing that you can't even tell which way is up or down. I don't know. I just really, uh, it really gave permission and a green light and a map of how to express myself personally with the strange clouds of conversation I was having in my head. Kind of like in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open the ark and all the shit comes out and like, <laughs> things are flying around. Like it was kind of like that until you see something like Big Good or you see something that can make sense of it, give you a little map. So I was very, really, really excited about that when, when I first uh, really started to find more of his work, get my hands on the movie and start to understand what the fuck this, who this fucking person was and how the fuck they did these things. And it was shocking, shocking to see that it was done in that way. Yeah, yeah, just, it really blows my mind. Those production values are so, it, it feels like something that has uh, any kind of budget. It feels like something that somebody put some money into, or, you know, he did over a long period of time, but it, uh. It, of it, course. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, because he took his name off of it, a lot of people thought that it was made by Andy Warhol for a long time. And there's, uh, you know, because it, it's this lazy bullshit of like, it's obviously a queer person. So what famous queer people can we think of? This is not in the style of Andy Warhol at all, but it must have been him. Um, and James Bidgood has said, I read an interview with him where he said, um, you know, he kind of didn't, he didn't care that people were saying that it was 
uh, Andy Warhol's stuff, and he was not a huge fan of what Andy Warhol did, like appreciated his place in gay cultural history or whatever. But he said the reason that this could never be an Andy Warhol movie is that he would never put in the work <laughs> that you had to oh, do. Shit. Yeah. That fucker, that fucker film being narcissist for like seven, I think seven, six or seven years in mm-hmm. his apartment. Yeah. Um, that's fucking badass and insane. Yeah. But worth it. I'm a, I'm a very patient creature. I try, I try to listen to my gut and read the fucking signs that are getting thrown to me and get the fuck out of a room. If it don't feel right. And stay in a fucked up room that does feel right, but you don't know why you're there. And that kind of inner discipline has served me well over this fucked up life of mine. And it shows that it has served him well, at least enough to make a movie. I can't speak for his personal life. And he's had some fucking up and downs. But, uh, you know, to have that kind of a patience and drive to create something that is in the water forever. It's very admirable and inspiring. Time for a quick break, because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And also, to um, even though it took a very long time for people to realize that he was the one who created it and to give him credit for it, he did get to have credit for it in his lifetime. And um, yeah, just being able to uh, have that acknowledgement of the tremendous influence that he's had on people, putting in all of that work um, and, you know, not having people recognize that it was him who did it must have been really tough. But um yeah, super amazing. Another thing, this is another, another weird comparison. So brace yourself. But um when you were talking about Fantasia, it kind of reminds me of like Disney Fantasia, only, you know, in that like replacing Mickey Mouse with a, you know, beautiful young man. But the way that it moves, the music, 
the way that it moves from one kind of fantasy to the next. And it's all this kind of dreaminess, just like uh, floating through it. Um, yeah, it was giving me that same kind of feeling of just, you know, like just being taken taken on this journey and um, just kind of letting yourself go. And the story just kind of washes over you. It's like more about the imagery and the emotion and uh, all of that stuff. Well, you have to look at that and say, what the fuck influenced him? Mm. So, you know, I don't, when the fuck was Fantasia made? I don't even know the year that crap was made, but it was probably in the 60s or some shit. When was the Fantasia made? But you got to look at, I'm looking it up. I got this machine right next to me. I got lesbian in me. When I need to know something, I need to know right now. 1940. Oh, 40? Yeah. So fuck yeah. So look at, look at, and I want to bring this other person into it too, but look at Kenneth Hanger mm-hmm. and look at James Bidgood. Look at Fantasia. So I'm sure Fantasia was like revolutionary when the shit came out. No. And so if you were some gay fucking kid watching Fantasia and watching all those little nymphs, like those little satyrs running around mm-hmm. and the, all that shit underneath these. I mean, fuck yes. This man and both of those fuckers have obviously been influenced by Fantasia. And then you take something like that. You watch Pink Narcissus. What I really relate to and and love about it is that it is a very feminine sexuality. It is masculine in its male form of these physiques walking around of, you know, big, it's very influenced as you can tell by Thomas Fenlon in terms of the, the structure of the clothing and how it hugs the pieces of the male genital. And, um, you see this very, very feminine quality to the sexuality of these very masculine built men, uh, which very much does have those hints of fantasia to it as well. Uh, but I find that there's an importance to that kind of sexuality, of a feminine sexuality being in, being, uh, you know, uh, injected into a very butch male sexual uh, environment. And I think that that is one of the little trickster lights like those deep sea fish have on their heads that attracts weirdos like myself and these other artists who glean something from this because I would hope to believe that they also find some sort of a relation to this sexually. That there's not just being turned on by the male form, but there's sexuality in, there's so much sexuality in the aesthetic quality of this film. And, and like I said, the textures and the, the sh- I, I'm a fucking freak for sheer shit. You put a dick underneath a sheer cloth that's painted pink and I'll marry you. <laughs> you put a gold brocade fucking thing around this and throw some fucking, oh, I hate glitter, but throw some fucking sheer shit on it like a gasoline sheen. I'm all over you. Um, there's, there's just a certain kind of beauty. And then there's a perversion to it. We're talking about Fantasia. We're talking about Disney. We're talking about being children. So there is a perverted quality 
to this that speaks to people who like pervert shit, <laughs> sexually perverted shit. I, I'm down for that. I like sneaky pervert shit. I like games you had to play with your, the boys when you were little so you could get in their pants. <laughs> I was a very, very strategic player. So there's a lot of pervert shit going on in these things. It's very childlike. And I don't mean that in like, I want to go fuck a kid. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the ways in which when we were younger, we were trying to find others who could share our sexuality with us, uh, our interests that we could possibly could not find. And this movie has that kind of quality of you're going to sleep over at a friend's house mm -hmm. and you're going to play those games. It just so happens that some of these games put you in a urinal with someone pissing on your head or in an alley with people selling dick sausage. But I would have loved that when I was younger too. <laughs> <sighs> I really love that quality of these. The, 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 sec, the, feminine sec, the feminine sexual fantasia is just stunning. And it really is a, a world that we don't really have a lot of to go to, which makes it so precious and which makes it still stay in the water. Yeah. And at the time when it was made, it, you know, now, like we've been saying, there's like this fashion editorial stuff that is so heavily influenced by this movie that it feels commonplace. It's something that we see all the time, every day. But at that time, it was revolutionary. And it was something that, you know, for queer people to be able to see super explicitly queer stuff that was also, it was like sexy beautiful just these like saturated colors like you said you know different textures all of that kind of stuff being thrown into it so it's really complex um but yeah just like unabashedly queer 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 as fuck and yeah. um yeah just like really really radical but also really beautiful and such a, a like it's fine art and it's also like I, there's no way around saying that that James Bidgood was heavily influenced by Kenneth Hanger. You know, Kenneth was making his stuff before James shit this out in the 70s. But again, there's a difference in sexuality to these things. I don't find as much of the feminine textualized realms of, of Bidgood in Kenneth, but I do find color. I do find more of a... Kenneth has more of a... Kenneth is like another world that is a little more fucked up and you might want to get the fuck out of there, you know? Like the, when you're under that dome or when you're doing, you know, you're in that weird little garden with that little lady running around. I don't know how much you know of, of Kenneth's work, but it's uh, very colorful and very fucking surreal and strange. And you can see so many influences, but again, it's a very different sexualized place uh that i like to kind of go visit that bar but this other one i could fucking work there i could fucking die there i could i could do everything there you know so it's, it's nice to see that the those influences are there and then in turn when you look at when you look at a pierre and gilles when you look at a, a la chapelle the thing that really always strikes me about their work is they you cannot fucking reproduce what it looks like when someone shoots something in their apartment for seven fucking years. You cannot reproduce that delicate 
broke ass caring quality that Bid Goods work shows. You just can't. And when you see these very beautiful works of art from these modern fuckers, it's there's a budget there, there's a cleanliness there. There's a stylized quality there that you just cannot. Uh, it just does not take me into a world that's that's secret that I can I have to find. It's really given to you with those artists. They're just giving you a world. But Bid Good is showing you a secret world that you have to find. And I think that's a very big difference and, and why Bid Good's work still today stands apart from, you know, the qualities of it that you see today. But that actual product, you 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 gotta fucking go to that world. You gotta fucking make that over seven years in a goddamn dingy, I would imagine, fucking dirty fucking New York apartment. Yeah. And it's, you know, like you're saying, bid goods work feels like there's this intimacy. It feels personal. And when you look at like a David LaChapelle photo, you can feel the committee that has come together to create it. You know, it's not or not a committee, but like a team. It's a, a big budget. You know, you can see that it's a studio. You can see that there's like people working on the lighting. There's people doing the hair and makeup. There's all this other stuff that's coming together. And it happened in a day because they had all of these people uh, working on it. And Pink Narcissus is, is doesn't look cheap, but it looks like something that somebody put a lot of care into. Care. Not to say they don't put care in theirs, but it's a different. Like yeah. a kid, like a little Nas growing up who maybe doesn't know about James Biggood, who sees Pierre Gilles, I'm sure, you know, and that's natural. That's all. It always happens that way. And then they find out more and more, you know. Um, I didn't, I thought Laura Branigan was the first person to ever sing Gloria. I was wrong. That's a fucking song that she fucking covered. I did not know that, but I sure as fuck went digging when I found that out and heard all about Gloria, you know? So it's like, of course, you, we always get what's in front of us. But, uh, you know, I, it, yeah, I, I am a creature who likes to build my own jewelry. I'm wearing mayonnaise fucking bracelets. I'm wearing this thing that I, my fucking friend Jet built me. You know, mason jar lids. Um, it's just like the excitement and the power of creating things that you cannot find in the world. So you must create them. And he did that, obviously, and inspired me and many other people to say, I can't afford jewelry, so I'll make my own. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like the way I feel on the inside and the way I choose to present in this realm that we all are in, I can't find that at a store, nor do I really probably have the money to buy it. So it's very inspiring for creative people to say, well, then make it yourself, fuckface, and, and do it for yourself. Don't do it for them. He didn't, I'm sure he wasn't sitting in a studio for seven fucking years to make this for someone. Right. This is something that he had inside of him, I would hope and imagine. You don't, you know, like he didn't have some art curator being like, you have a deadline. You <laughs> right. need to get this in the gallery, girl. This right. is going to be on Broadway. Hurry, hurry. Like, no, this fucking. Yeah, I hope he was doing drugs and smoking cartons of cigarettes in that small space and going to town, which many people still fucking do. Yeah. And that's the joy of it too. 
there's so many creative people that still are hidden away in their studios making, I mean, Kenny Kenny is, uh, Kenny Kenny is an artist who is currently making some of the most beautiful phot photographic, uh, epic kind of diorama-esque sets and, and, and they're round uh, that uh, follows in this same narrative of creativity. And, and I, I, I went to Kenny's show a couple of months ago and I knew Kenny from the nightlife. I met Kenny like years ago, just at a party that him and uh, the Kenny and Suzanne Barsh were hosting a long time ago. And then you could smell the creative crap on them. And then I see these things they're making now. And it, again, it reminds me very much of Bid Good, but not in a Pierre Gilles way. Kenny, Kenny's sitting in that place, like building all this shit slowly and slowly showing it. And it, it has that same quality. I don't know Kenny, Kenny, like super personally, but I can look at their work and see that, that line, of, that thread going through. And I can look at Kenny's work and say, oh, that fucker sat there for a long time on I don't know what and built this and had passion for it. So it's exciting to see those places. Yeah. And it's exciting to, it's exciting to build your own shit and not have to find a store to buy it. In. Yeah. And in this city, there's, this, you know, this myth that New York has become so polished everywhere that artists who are not millionaires don't exist in the city. And it's, the, the places where they used to live, you know, artists can't be starving artists in the village now, but this city will always find a way to be home to incredible artists who have no money and they have to live in, you know, different places. They have to live with 400,000 people, whatever, but um, that that creative energy is still here everywhere and you just have to know where to look for it i call it the buffet it's the <laughs> international buffet of everything sex art anything you want you can get it delivered at your door or you can walk out on that street and find it and that has not changed the way in which you acquire it has now they drive up to your house they come inside you know like it's very <laughs> you know you don't have to like meet in a corner somewhere or send a messenger pigeon anymore but it's just if you are tapped into your gut, and if you are tapped into what you feel you're here for, or if you're tapped into the things like Big Good that's speaking to you and you're curious to find that secret fucking place, then this city is the fucking best place in the world to be. Still, hands down, it is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Just because of that energy, because of that give and take, or give and give from it too. And um, it's just, you know, this is where that fucking film was made mm -hmm. because of that same energy. So the beat, the city's going to change. Times Square is going to look like Mickey Mouse's butthole, but that doesn't, that does not change the energy of the city. That's the beast. That's the fucking CPU, as they say, in Tron central processing unit. Um, so that shit, is there that's magic so it just you know anyone who could tap into the magic it's the person is the design that fucks it up or perverts it or changes it or turns Times square into mickey's butthole or finds a goddamn 
cool space like a veil of cashmere and throw a party in it during covid which is what the faggots did like there's magic here to do good or different or not so good so and good is the only what you think it is so who might as fucking say what's good and bad exactly um i think that is a lovely place to stop actually but the one other thing that i thought of um james bidgood again from reading interviews interviews with him sounded like he had a very dry sense of humor and somebody asked him why he named that movie pink narcissus and he said um because he's a narcissist and it's pink that's <laughs> like, a great way to end this shit. Yeah, it's like perfect love it yeah he probably yeah yeah I, you know <laughs> i mean shit <laughs> who ever made that he's probably saucy or something but you kind of had to be back then. Yeah. Um, and you still got to be today. So, Indeed. yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I've really I've enjoyed really talking enjoyed about this. this. I haven't yeah. talked about this movie like this ever. And I actually have it on right now behind your head. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the volume's off. And I'm just watching it while we speak. And the guy in the pearls is dancing around with his dick flopping around underneath <laughs> the sheer blanket. And it's a great way to start a shitty Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Um, well, thank you again. Um, yeah, I really thanks for having this. me on this podcast. Yeah. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was so great. Thanks again to Christine for making time for me. Her new album, Midnight Fuck Train, is out right now. Okay. My spark of the week is a TV show called Andor. That is at least theoretically a Star Wars show, but it is so much better than anything the Star Wars universe has ever produced, and I love it so much. Seriously, the writing is amazing, the effects are a mix of digital and practical, and they look totally incredible. The cast is fantastic. Diego Luna and Stellan Skarsgård and Fiona Shaw and Andy Serkis, and they are actually acting like, Star Wars movies are not known for their fine performances, but there is so much great work in this show. And it's about 100,000 times better than House of the Dragon. So if you need something to fill a sci-fi and or fantasy hole in your viewing schedule, you should watch Andor. And that's about it. Please follow me on social media, at Spark Parade across the board. And then, you know, otherwise just have a really lovely week. Be kind to yourself. Go for a walk in the woods or something else that you find relaxing. Okay? And until next time, bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com.
Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.